stand for the Word of God in front of people. What a great skill set that is. Parents, well done for doing that. Good morning. Thanks for coming to Crossroads Church. Um, I'm Terry. Just in case you're wondering, my name is Terry, and that was my wife, um, who I called Honey, in case... Honey, yes. It's, and um, so next week, we will have a donut wall. If you don't know what a donut wall is, it's this wall with donuts hanging on it. And after service, you just pick the donut you want, and you just eat it, and Jesus takes all the calories out. <laughs> um, I have learned that the calories come out the more sugar you add to things. And so you want to check me out on my theory? So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, I love the book of Proverbs. Before we get into the Word of God, uh, we always have a proverb. Today is um, verse 7, or for, verse 4 out of chapter 7. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Love the book of Proverbs. So I've, I've been getting, every so often I get a certain number of emails from people who um, accuse me personally uh, of alleged disrespect to cats. And... <laughs> So for the sake of balance, I have finally discovered a notable skill set that cats do. Some cats actually have the ability to stand on their hind legs. Yeah, so whatever that means, okay, that's, that's for you cat lovers, whatever. Okay, so of course that so-called special skill is nothing compared to the skill sets that God gave dogs. See, I rest my case. Um, if, if I've offended you with my comments about cats, please, please send me an email. My email is seth at crossroads foursquare. <laughs> um, I need Rachel to set up another email address for me. I don't give a rip at crossroads about cats. Okay, so um, <laughs> last week we started a new series about transformation because... If you're a believer, you are very, very aware that the Lord is trying to shape you, that um, there is something that happens between the cross. When you become an owner of the cross, before you reach heaven, we'll just just call that sanctification, you are in a never-ending process where the Lord Almighty is trying to help you become more like his son, Jesus. And it's a great process. And I think sometimes it's this gentle massaging with oil, and other times it's this grinding with sparks flying. Um, is that just me, or do any of you? Okay, so, I mean, it's this, this process, and um, um, I would never want you to come to church and go away scratching your head thinking, what, what, was, he, what was he talking about? Did you, I mean, he lost me. I, I, so, so I'm going to summarize today's entire message in a sentence so that later when you go to sleep, you will have gotten the message, okay? So here's the message of the day. For life change to happen, we must commit to full cooperation with God's desire to transform us. Now, though that sentence is full of extreme words. I'll agree, I'll grant you that. Must commit full cooperation. And on the spectrum, I think, I mean, a room full of different temperaments, um, you know, maybe many of you are, are very... 
uh, I would just say humble, gracious, teachable, and, and just okay, and you're, and you're good with something. Like others of you are um, at, at the end of the spectrum. Maybe you think of things a little more critically, and, and you say in your soul, well, kind of prove it. And that's kind of the end of the spectrum that I live on, the prove it end of the spectrum. And I, I, I think um, the Bereans had this whole thing in, in proper balance. I think Acts chapter 17 says that they received the words with all readiness, and, uh, and then search the scriptures daily to find out if these things were actually true. So they were open in their heart to hear the things, but then they went home and verified it in God's word. You ought to do that. You ought to never believe a thing I say you just because it's me. You need to go and verify it because that skill set will serve you equally well outside these walls as it will serve you inside the walls. Because the world will tell you all kinds of so-called truths, and you need to be able to figure that out for yourself. So the Bereans had that sorted. Um, last week, um, uh, I met with one mom in our church who, who told me that um, her daughter writes voraciously notes from the messages every week and then goes home and checks me out. And I gotta tell you, I love that, and it makes my knees weak. Because I don't want to answer to the Lord for leading one of his little ones astray. None of us should. It's a great skill set. Acts 17, 11, look that up and become like that. That's just a real, real good skill set. So when I prepare a message, I'm always looking through this, this, this filter system, this critical thinking system that I have. And um, so if I was hearing this message, I'd be asking myself, commit? Must? Don't tell me. I'm the boss of me. Don't tell me I must. You know, full? I'd be hearing those questions, you know, put my full life in Christ's hands, you know, do, give him everything, he's going to drive my car now too, where are we going, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, so I'm going to just tell you right now, the, the goal for today's message is to get everybody on board. And I'll explain that as we go, but that's where really I want to be. So from last week, um, I shared a couple things. I'm not going to re-preach last week's message, um, but I want to remember where we were last week. We talked about true life change comes only through partnership with God and his ways. And we have to start with the rejection of all faulty, self-centered change methods. We've got to start with the rejection of all the self-centered, faulty change methods because you know, if we keep doing what we've always done, we're not going to get any different results. We're going to get what we've always had. So here's the quick flyover of the, the major points from last week. Um, and um, some of this was really sensitive area last week. So I don't want to um, step on any toes. And I don't have the time to re-preach this today. So if you didn't hear the message last week, I want you to know it's available for free on the website. There's different ways to get it. I think it might be on iTunes and so forth. But So um, the messages here are always available if you want them. We, we looked at faulty methods for change. These are methods that mostly come from our culture. One is in the environment. And I, I, we, we learned last week that we're not Pavlov's dogs. And um, environment has its effect, but it's not determinative for us. The second thing is that the, 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 another faulty method is digging up our past. And um, with all sensitivity, I want to tell you that you're not a victim. You're not a victim. And um, we talked about how the Bible points our way through those kinds of things where we face things, we forgive things, and then we forget them. Uh, we also learned that self-discovery is a faulty method of change. Um, the problem with humanistic psychology and with so many self-help self -help approaches is that it's not self-esteem that we need. It's Christ-esteem that we need. And we talked about legalistic change. Certainly, a list of rules isn't going to help anybody become a different person. Um, ascetic change, you know, living like a monk, you know, bearing up under the, you know, pulling yourself and fighting for, you know, uh, can't, it's, can't, that doesn't work. Intellectual change doesn't work. 
we concluded that we needed biblical change. And so um, as we go forward in this, this transformation series, um, I want to start with this, just this, this idea, since we're asking to submit ourselves to God, God has a great resume on transforming people. He has a great resume on change. And uh, I think that's uh, because if he desires to transform me and you, and since he's asking for our full cooperation, I'd want to know, is he good at it? Is God any good at this? Well, let's, let's look and see, um, because we're going to let him do that. So uh, I, I, would, I have um, at home in my garage a few woodworking tools. They're, they're there in case I ever want to work on some wood, um, and I have tried it before, but it's not my best thing, okay? I mean, back when, um, when I went to school, boys were required to take shop, and girls were required to take home ec. And so they made me make something in woodshop, and um, I, I made my dad a, I, I've mentioned this before, I made him a wine rack out of black walnut. The wood was beautiful, the rack was stupid looking. I can't, I have to say that when I got done with it, I don't remember the grade I got, probably I got a, a sympathy C or something, I don't know, but I don't remember that wine rack ever making to the counter in my house. I don't know what happened to it. Where'd the wine rack go, Mom? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that. Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> you know, and, and so here's the thing. I mean, I live with people who make things. Um, Jason, my, one of my, my son, I'm going to call him my son, his son-in-law, um, he measures things. I measure the same thing. Somehow it's a different number. I'm certain mine is not the right one. And, um, you know, I tend, if I'm going to do a project, I buy more wood than I need because a lot of it's going to go into the ash heap, it's not going to make the project. So sometimes I set out to make things and it's just not so good. How often does God do that? How often does God start out on a project and go, oops. <laughs> does that ever happen? I, I, don't, I don't think it ever, ever does. I don't think God ever does that. And he has millions upon millions of satisfied uh, transformation customers. And I think if we were to interview God uh, and try to decide whether he can succeed at this, I think, we should, I think we should just go through that process and take a look at his resume on change. So we're going to start with, uh, we're going to look at a few different people, um, Acts chapter 7, and here's the context. Stephen is preaching about this guy that God changed that you all know, Moses. And uh, Moses was kind of an odd duck. There were some things about him. You know, the, you know the headlines, but when you read through the weeds here and you get into some of the stuff about him and you think through what kind of a person he was, um, okay, it starts off, he starts off life, his mom gives him away. Great story. I'm not going to go there. Now, you can read that on your own, but his mother, um, for understandable reasons, abandons him um, to hope that God miraculously provides. Of course, God does, but he ends up getting raised um, by the king, by the king's daughter, um, in the palace. So he had kind of this, he grew up with a, uh, he, this is an example of privilege. Hey, <laughs> I'm the guy from the palace. You know me, right? Okay, he's, that's, that's him. Everything he wanted, he's the, he's the anointed whatever, something from the, I'm the guy from the palace. So when God call, contacts Moses and um, tells him the same thing that he tells every one of us, every one of his kids, he says, I've got a plan and I've got a calling for you in your life. When God contacts Moses and starts having that kind of talk with him, um, and he starts telling him about, God, God starts telling Moses about his particular purpose, and I want you to lead my children out of slavery, out of bondage um, in Egypt. 
And Moses has got a little bit of an attitude about it. And uh, so we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. It says, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. Came into his heart. Let's just right now understand. God put this in his heart. Go look around and see what's going on. His brothers, the children of Israel. So he wants to see how the rest of the world lives. Um, and seeing one of them, um, one of his Hebrew brothers, being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Everyone say murder. Murder. Okay, he's a murderer. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his, na- his hand, but they did not understand. Okay, so, okay, we're off to a terrible start here. So now that he's a murderer and um, he's at a loss, wow, I just killed this dude. Um, and he buries him in the sand and somebody, he runs into somebody on the street and says, hey, aren't you... Aren't you the guy that just murdered? <laughs> you are that guy. And um, he kind of freaks out, and he thinks, uh, uh-oh, I'm in deep now. i got to do something. He takes off. So he's this murderer. And then instead of facing up to what he's done, he runs off, and he spends the next 40 years in the desert. You can read all this later. I'm kind of glossing through this. So now, so far, Moses' life story, 40 years living in the palace, a short time being a murderer, and another 40 years in the desert. How old is this dude? Okay, we're all good. He's 80 now. And um, so I'm going to suggest, although there might be somebody here that's more than 80, I'm sure there are. Um, he's, um, you know, I don't think there's anybody here who can rightfully claim that God is done with you because you're too old. So then he comes back and God says to him, you know, I choose you, Moses. This Moses God conversation. I I I I I don't talk very well. But I'm going to use you anyway. Um, you, you, you get get somebody else. You know this is how he's talking. He's stuttering, and he says, "But I want you." This happens to all of us, by the way. The Lord says, "You, Terry, you, Lisa, I want you, and I've got some plans, and I'm going to have you do some things for my kingdom, and we've always got." resistance to it. There's always a, a litany of reasons why, um, but I don't want to do it. And God says, but you're going to do it. He's somehow, I don't know what the conversation was like, but in the end, Moses, you know, he's, he starts going down. So he's 80, he's still stubborn, and he's fighting with God, and God kind of gets a hold of him. He says, come on, we're doing this. Come on, come on. You can do this. You're going to do it. Come on. So he's reluctant, and um, Moses then um, gets used by the Lord in these, this whole awesome series of miracles that takes place, you know, the, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. So, so God's resume on change, his, his heart on change, using Moses as an example, is saying, number one, no matter how long you've struggled, it's never too late to change. No matter how long, it's never too late. And I think some of us may be thinking, you know, I, I, I could have done something different with my life. I, I could have made some better choices. I, I, I wish I had known then what I know now. I wish maybe even somebody had gotten my attention back then. And like standing over so much spilled milk, you know, maybe our dreams have kind of gone south a little bit or you have some regrets about what your life could have been. Um, but Moses' life shouts out, it's never too late to change. It's never too late. And I think that there probably are some people here of whatever your age might be, that the reason Holy Spirit brought you to church today was for you to hear just that. 
that it's not too late for you to change. You could be 16 and hearing that and needing to hear it. Or you could be 80 and hearing that and needing to hear it. You could be in your 40s and your 50s and saying, you know, my marriage isn't what I wish it was or uh, my career didn't become what I hoped it would be. And now you're starting to grow into this, this, this thought process, this attitude where you think, well, I'm just kind of stuck. I'm just going to float along. Maybe God will do something through my kids. Listen, it's not too late for you. You know, there probably aren't too many murderers in this room today. I mean, and God wasn't done with Moses. He's not done with you and me. That's Moses, so let's, let's go back to his resume. John chapter 4, here's another one of my favorite scriptures, and this is the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman, and they had some, um, some racial tension, we'll call it that, going on here, and uh, some bigotry, and just there, was, there were societal norms, and so Jesus shouldn't have been talking to her because of, uh, of religious prejudice, but he didn't buy into that. He shouldn't have been talking to her because of gender prejudice. He didn't bind her. There was all these reasons why he shouldn't have been talking to her. He just cuts through all that, and he has this, this conversation with her, and it's quite a conversation. And, and he, he's, he's with her, and he asks her to get him some water, and, and uh, they get into this conversation about water. And he, he tells her, well, he can get her water that will quench the thirst of her soul. And, and I'm paraphrasing and saying she'll never be thirsty again, and, and uh, t- tells her about living water. And then he starts deciding to move her into the light. Okay, he's going to move her into a place where truth can help her. And he says to her, go call your husband. Go, go have your husband come here. <laughs> and she had a, quite a story. She had five divorces, and um, she's realizing she's in the presence of something. She really doesn't want this guy to know her background. She would rather that this person she's talking to doesn't know the truth. And he says, go get your husband. But listen, Jesus isn't seeking your confession um, of the truth so that he can condemn you. It's not about condemning you. Some of you here today, you've got some secrets. And one thing I can tell you that I kind of insist and have complete agreement on with every other leader, especially the people that stand up here, is that we don't ever want to convey that we're looking down at people. I mean... Uh, we resist the idea of even having a raised platform at all, but it just makes it easier for you to make eye contact with us, especially when everybody's standing and singing. But not just, not just physically looking down, but, but in any way judging. We don't, we don't want to ever come across that way because we love people here, and when Jesus met with people, you know, he loved the people that he encountered and that he was talking to, and he still wants the truth to come out. And the reason he wants the truth to come out is so he can help them. So he says to this lady, go call your husband. She's embarrassed. Mm, um, uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you can see this in John 4, um, verse 17. Do we already have that one? Can we put that? Um, the woman answered him, I have no husband. I don't have a husband. Jesus says to her, yeah, yeah you're right in saying that. That's the truth. You're right saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. She's got to be going, ugh. Give me a break. How do you know this? Shame. She's, she's thinking, I, I've made so many mistakes. I've been with so many m- different men. I've done things I'm ashamed of, and I don't want anybody to know about this stuff. But Jesus didn't say to her, you awful, wicked person. 
You, you know, I know the truth. That is not what he said. He, Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. Say he wasn't like that. He wasn't like that. Yeah, he wasn't. The reason he's drawing it out of her is he's, he's, he's wanting her. He's saying, honey, I, I, I can't help you if you can't be honest with yourself about yourself. You can't have a better future if you can't just get to the point where you can say, I've made some mistakes. I've, got, I've made some bad choices. I've, I've done some sinful things. And we need to not be afraid of the word sin. Because we all have experienced the suffering that happens because of our sin. We're all sinners. You know, point at me and say, you sinner, you can if you want. Say to your neighbor, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Go ahead right now, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Thank you for not saying he's a sinner. Okay. <laughs> but we're, we are sinners, that's true. But we're a room full of forgiven people. And if you've been coming here for, you know, minutes or weeks or months or years, and you've been kind of maybe living a secret life um, for a decade or something, I, I want you to know, and I want to proclaim to you this morning that... A Savior named Jesus Christ loves you where you are this moment. And he'll wash your life clean. He's, he's a Savior who will take away your, 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 your stain, your guilt, your, your regret for the things that, um, that you've done in the past, and he'll put upon you um, a whitewashed... You, you, you'll be covered in the grace of Christ. And that's the God that we love. And that's the God that we serve. And he's got an awesome resume on change. So he dealt so lovingly with this woman. Her life was changed forever. Moses, Moses the life of Moses says, no matter how long you struggle, um, the woman at the well says, no matter how much shame you feel, it's never too late to change. Now, let's move on to Paul. Story of the conversion of probably the greatest enemy that the church has ever known. Um, human enemy would be, would be Paul. His name was Saul. God later changed it to Paul, and you can read about this, his, his salvation in Acts chapter 9 and 22 and 26. We're mostly going to be in 26, um, and they all tell the story about his salvation. So picking up in verse 9, this is, this is Paul talking. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is who this guy is. This is who Paul is. This is what he's all about. He's, I'm convinced I have to do many things opposing the name of Jesus. And he says, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I personally cast my vote to put them to death. Should this guy be put to death? Yes. Should this woman be put to death? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Paul, I voted for those. Wow, they voted and put people to death? Yeah, that's crazy. Verse 11, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. I took hold of people and said, blaspheme the name of Jesus or we're gonna beat you and torture you. He's, this is the guy. This guy's wicked. He's, he's killed Christians. He's made them blaspheme the Lord. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This was also wrong. This, this is big time unjust. And I know a lot of crazy things go on, go on. I understand that some of you may be thinking about some of the things that you've done. Awful things. Things you're ashamed of. I mean, I've done some things I'm ashamed of. I have. 
And still, I doubt if there are very many people here who have done what Paul did. I mean, making people blaspheme, casting votes to put people to death. When Stephen, <laughs> when Stephen was being stoned, Scripture says that, um, that Saul, he was Saul at that time, he was, he was standing there holding the coats. It's like, hey, 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 let me hold your coat, because if I'm holding your coat, your, your shoulder will be, you'll be able to throw the rock harder at him. <laughs> That's who this guy is. You know, no way does God love that guy. I mean, no way does God want that guy in his family. He's, if you believe that, you couldn't be further from the truth. Because Paul's life says, no matter how awful your sin, it's never too late to change. In the text, Paul talks about traveling. He's on his way to Damascus um, to get more Christians to persecute. And then in um, verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he had all, when, he, when, we all, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, interesting there, that's a rabbit trail and I want to go down, but why naming and why the language? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, unless you're a farmer and you have to convince stronger, more powerful animals to go where, you, where they don't want to go, but you want them to go. You may not know what a goad is, but a goad was this pointed thing that they would use, and it, they would put it where the legs would kick to, if, or, or they would use it basically to keep the animal from going someplace it ought not to go, where it didn't want to go. And it was, there was also a circular version of it, and um, you can see that it was... It, it, they would basically use it so that the, that the ox could not go in the wrong direction. Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Saul, in spite of all this wickedness you've done, God surrounded you. And you can't move now, Saul, because God is pursuing you and you feel it. That's what he's talking about here. And some of us are, are there right now. Maybe... Maybe you're having a hard time sleeping because of guilt or you can't act normally because of the guilt of maybe some things you've done and it weighs on you. And you carry it with you and you, and you, and you try to kick against it but you can't detach it. When you sin more, it doesn't go away and when you live better, it doesn't go away. And that's because God's plans for your life isn't that you would commit yourself to self-improvement. This is not about self-improvement. Because you can't change by yourself. You can't by yourself change yourself. God's resume on change, though, is awesome. Moses says, no matter how long you've struggled, the woman at the well says, no matter how often you've failed, no matter how much shame you feel, and Paul's life says, no matter how awful your sin is, it's never too late to change. And, of course, there's lots of other examples. Those were the three crash test dummies I picked for today. And it's easy to talk about change back in the Bible because um, it was a long time ago, right? Do you get it? <laughs> I'm definitely in both groups. Who wants change? Everybody. Who wants to be changed? Uh, not so much. But God's changing people today in, in America. God's changing people today in Washington State. God's changing to be people today in Rochester. God's changing people today in this room.
Not in the Bible, not, not across the ocean, but right here in this church, and it's happening right here, and it's happening right now. God's, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's got a great resume on change. And that's where we're going over this, the course of this series, this process of change. And the most important transformation, the ground zero of God changing people, the absolute starting point is this. God's plan for change starts with salvation. With salvation. The idea of being saved um, is the, the picture there is of, of a person drowning and God saving them from that. There are other biblical terms for salvation. There are all kinds of... Born again is, is a phrase that Jesus used. Um, and uh, it, it talks about the fact that uh, we're born spiritually dead. You know, you, you have a choice. you born twice, die once, or born once, die twice. You know, we're going to go down that trail today. Justified is another word. It's where a person who is condemned, but they're set free just as if they'd never sinned. Redeemed is the picture of a person whose debt is completely canceled, to telestai. The words that Jesus used on the cross, it's, it's, it's paid in full. Sin's been paid for. It's like uh, you know, a, a dead man who's been raised to life. There's lots and lots of biblical examples. This is such, a, such an important topic. So I'm gonna share the gospel right now. And most of you know this, and most of you have embraced this. This is already down in your soul. Um, and so I'm going to just do this, and we're going to be done with, with the message today, but I want to ask a couple of things. If you're already saved, if you're already a believer, I, you, need, you need to be praying right now. For people in this room where we're going to hear this for the first time, or for people who will hear this recorded in some future date, be praying. Um, and also, you need to be listening, because you need to be able to walk people through this truth. And, um, you know, people... Um, it, okay, it, because their lives are changed forever by the gospel. Here's the gospel. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I'm going to take a minute and go over it. And if, and if you want to be um, changed by God, if, you, if, you, if you're praying, Lord, change me, if you, if you, you've got to get into a partnership with God first. And partnership with God begins with this. It's called salvation. It's where it has to start. Now, to help um, understand salvation, I'm going to give it to you maybe a different way. Maybe you've heard it this way before, but I'm going to describe to you three doors. On one side of the door is God, and on the other side of the door is you and me. Okay, so the first door we're going to call the blank door or the dead door, okay? This is the person who doesn't know um, that there's a door. They don't even know that there's a God. They just don't know. They're clueless. They're completely dead to it all. Lisa and I have um, windows in our house, and I've got a windows in my office, and um, no window coverings, and they look like they're not there to some birds. <laughs> and one early one morning, I was sitting there studying, praying. <laughs> I really was. I was really studying, praying, and I heard this loud bang. I didn't do it. She cleaned the windows. Okay, come on. Do you see this? One loud bang. I think they were on a date. 
They hit the window. I, what is that sound? I look over, there's a smudge on the window and a couple of little itty-bitty... That's gross. What would you bring that to church for, Terry? <laughs> Show and tell. It was the same thing in third grade. I go over and I look, and here's these two birds. They're dead on the ground outside, and without even knowing it, they hit that thing. And, um, you know, little birdie, they're beautiful little birdies now. He's dead. The reason he did was he flew very, very fast into my window, and that was the end of these beautiful little birdies. The Bible tells us that we are born into this world dead to God. You read about that in Psalm 51. There's lots of places. But we're born into this world, and a lot of people are behind that blank door. There's a God? I need God? Really? Is that true? Jesus taught a couple of things about this. He said in John 6 that no one comes unless the Spirit draws him. That's an important scripture. Because some people understand the gospel and they think, oh, I'll deal with Jesus someday. I'll do that later. What happens if the Spirit stops drawing? No one comes unless the Spirit draws him. And Jesus also said that you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And the first thing that happens in anyone's heart who's dead to God is that God makes the first move. God goes first. And today, I got the faith to believe that the Lord is making that first move for people either in this room or we're going to hear this message right now. And God is maybe making a move towards you. And there's a time in your life when you've been dead to God. I didn't care. I wasn't interested. It didn't matter to me. I thought I had all, everything all together. I didn't need anything. But then God began to stir something in my heart. Has that been happening in your soul? You know, has God been stirring something in you? Because once you get past this blank door, there's, you find out there's another door. We're going to call this the barrier door. Because even when your heart starts to become, you know, by God's grace, alive to God, you become aware that there's another barrier, and that barrier is a thing called sin. My sin. Isaiah 50, 59 says this, says, See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear. Instead, your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God, and your sins have concealed his face from you so that he won't listen. Wow. Sin's a problem. God's holy, and there's not going to be any sin present in heaven. Sin's a blockage. It's a barrier. God's on one side of the door, and we're on the other side of the door, and if it stays that way, nothing's going to change. So God himself solved the problem, the barrier problem. It's a problem we couldn't solve ourselves. You, you can't be good enough to erase that barrier. You can't be faithful enough. Whatever goodness that we can muster up isn't enough. Our goodness just doesn't erase the sin barrier. It doesn't. Only God can do that. So beyond the blank door and the barrier door is the blood door. And the blood door is described in that verse that I mentioned just casually a few minutes ago, Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the good news. That's great news. Because you don't have to go to hell to pay for your sin. You don't have to. You don't have to bear the guilt of your sin every day of your life. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And he died to pay the penalty for that sin. He died for the unrighteous, for, the, for us, for, for me, for you. And when you personalize that, 
when you own that truth, that's what it means to be saved. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, and we find this in Revelation 3. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him, and he with me. How long has Jesus been knocking at your door, wanting only to come in? The next move is yours. And that's the gospel. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's move. Now it's your move. To receive salvation, you just simply open that door. I've failed. I've broken God's laws. I've broken, I've offended law, your, your laws, God. And um, it's only made me miserable. It's only dragged my life down. I don't want that anymore, God. Opening that door means two basic things. You turn from your sin and embrace God by faith for forgiveness. And you get off the illusion that you are good enough to get to heaven without God. You get off that and you get on the truth that only through the blood of Christ can you get there. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I know Christ died to save me from my sins. Let's pray. Everybody keep your eyes closed, please. I really believe this is a sacred moment. Every true believer be praying right now. The Bible tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Lord, let your love, let your gospel, Lord, drill past that, we pray, right now. And Lord, peel back whatever veil would, would be upon our eyes so that we can see the true loving God that you are, that we can see the true desperate need that we have. Lord, I pray that there will not be allowed in the hearts and minds of anyone present any pretense that would suggest that we are good enough to get to heaven without your help. It's just not true. We get off of that, Lord. And we recognize that eternity with you is nothing more than embracing you and your way that you would make for us to do that. We can't get there on our own. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, for open hearts right now. I pray, Lord, for tenderness before your spirit as the spirit is calling people and drawing people that they would be open to salvation. Not joining a church, not doing anything else, just open to eternity, salvation by a loving God. With eyes closed, I'd give, just like to pray with you. Scripture says that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. One way of confessing is just to share some with someone that you've made that decision. And you can do that with me right now just by looking up and waving your hand. And let me pray with you. Would you like to open your heart to the Lord? Just let me see your hand. I'm looking across the room. Praise the name of Jesus. Okay, thank you, Lord. Lord, God, you're good. Help the people that are present in this room to be instruments of life and love, God, as we would share something of your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and